Hello, I'm Matt, and this is Ghostthropology. Ghostthropology presents discussion of ghost stories and beliefs, and how we share ghost folklore, and importantly, how belief in the supernatural reflects who we are. While I don't know when or where or how you are listening, I hope it's dark outside, as that is the best time for ghost stories. Episode 50, Unlikely Gateways to Hell. A bit of housekeeping. After this episode, I'll be taking a few weeks off, but I will be back with more episodes in late January or early February. I have topics chosen and am working at lining up some guests, so I think I'll have a good run of episodes when I return. In the meantime, I thought that the topic of today's episode would be a fun way to finish off 2022. This episode isn't going to be particularly deep, at least not intellectually so, though it may plunge you into the depths of damnation. Humans have long identified certain locations as being entries to the underworld. This came up in my discussions with Irving Finkel in episode 41, and was something I came across time and again in both college and graduate school. The gateways have been located in a number of places, according to different cultures, with the Assyrians placing the entrance to the underworld in the Zagros Mountains, the Greeks placing it in the city of Tenerum, the Romans placed one portal to the underworld in Phrygia, a city in modern-day Turkey, and the list could go on and on. When I was in graduate school, a number of the Chumash people I spoke with held that the gateway to the afterlife was offshore near Point Conception where the California coast turns from a north-south orientation to an east-west orientation. These locations were gateways to the afterlife generally, not necessarily to a place of damnation. Some were even necessary passages to reach paradise. They were all located in significant places as well, in locations known widely, and some were even in spots of natural grandeur or at least of cultural significance. But modern folklore has another type of entry to the underworld, Gateways to Hell, which can be either the Judeo-Christian Hell or some other place of eternal punishment and suffering. Interestingly, many of these gateways to Hell are in strikingly mundane, possibly even boring, places. In this episode, we are going to look at a few places within the United States said to be gateways to Hell, and discuss what ties them together and what sets them apart. Location 1. Stoll, Kansas. On behalf of the people of Stoll, Kansas, I wish to say that none of this story is true in any way, shape, or form. Let's begin. In the small town of Stoll, Kansas, there's an old cemetery that contains one of the seven gateways to hell known to be on earth. It is one of two spots, the other being an isolated spot in India, where Satan himself appears at midnight on Halloween to gather those who died violent deaths in order to have a final cavort across the surface of Earth. In addition to Satan appearing, a number of other odd happenings are said to occur at this cemetery. Author William Houck, in his National Directory of Haunted Places, states that the evil presences materialize on the vernal and autumnal equinoxes. Houck also states that the cemetery contains the grave of what he calls a devil child though he never explains what that term means. However, 
Looking into it further, I found stories about a half-wolf, half-human creature that was born in Stull and then kept in the basement of the now-gone Stone Cemetery Church. When the boy was ten years old, he got out and went on a killing spree that only ended when he was cornered and shot by a farmer. Another variation of the story, found on the Mystery Archives YouTube channel, holds that a deformed child was born from the union of a witch and Satan himself, but it only lived a few days and was buried under a tree from which his mother would later be hanged for witchcraft. Some say that Satan appears in Stoll on the first day of spring to visit the witch and his son. Also, according to Hauk, a 17-year-old boy who died of typhoid in the 1890s is said to either rise from his grave or else materialize in the form of a humanoid wolf rather than as a human teenager. This strange entity is said to hide in the woods, watching any visitors with malice. Likely, this wolf boy and the devil child are either part of the same legend with multiple permutations, or else were separate legends merged into one legend before Hauk wrote his Directory of Haunted Places. People have visited the burial ground for decades, waiting to see the devil appear. Although nobody has reported a visit by the father of lies, many people have reported strange happenings, including a malevolent force that manifests as a strong wind that can knock a grown man down and keep him on the ground, as well as unattended vehicles moving from where their drivers parked them. Other reported incidents include mysterious voices and invisible hands clutching at trespassers. Rumor holds that Satanists routinely meet in the cemetery, especially near the ruins of an old church. It is said to be the precise location of the gateway to hell in order to carry out... <clears throat> okay, I'm going to try that again. Rumors hold that Satanists routinely meet in the cemetery, especially near the ruins of the old church, which is said to be the precise location of the gateway to hell in order to carry out their rituals. And sometimes demons, or even Satan himself, will come to these gatherings of the evil faithful to sanctify or, perhaps, to diabolize their rites. It is said that when it rains and stole, the interior of the old church remains dry despite the roof being long since gone and the deterioration of the walls. Sometimes, an unlucky visitor may visit the ruins and find the church still standing, though it will be gone the next morning. What's more, if you are inside the old church at the stroke of midnight on the autumnal equinox, or perhaps it's the winter solstice, you will be dragged down into hell. Alternatively, at that time and on that day, you may see a stone spiral staircase appear. If you walk down it, you will be led into hell. One may ask why the church ruins are the location of the gateway. Perhaps the church was built to control the entry to hell. Perhaps tearing the church down created a rift in the spiritual fabric that created the doorway. Either way, it is at that spot where Satan now makes his entry into the world of the living. Perhaps you think this is nonsense, but consider this. When then-Pope John Paul II was flying to Colorado to make an appearance in 1993, he instructed the pilot to divert the plane to avoid flying over Stoll. The Pope clearly knew the power of this place. Commentary The town of Stoll, Kansas is a small settlement in an unincorporated part of Douglas County. The town is, from what I can gather, rather like the town I grew up in, 
a pleasant place for residents, but without anything in particular to bring in visitors from out of town. According to Gene and Brian from the podcast Hometown Tales, the legend's basis appears to be that the German stone church that was once on the cemetery grounds caught fire two years in a row, both times on Halloween. This seems like a coincidence, but one that certainly feels creepy. Nonetheless, it's a coincidence with little more to it than some mundane fires that occurred on non-mundane days. That changed in 1974 when the student newspaper at the University of Kansas in Lawrence published an article describing weird cult activity at the cemetery. After that, legend trippers began to visit the location looking for an encounter with the supernatural. These visitors have engaged in a good deal of vandalism. As a result, the local residents and law enforcement are keen to keep visitors away. When Gene of Hometown Tales visited, he was, in fact, confronted by a local who insisted that he leave. And from what I can gather, he is not alone in having this experience. So what about this article and the subsequent visitors? It is, of course, entirely possible that a legend began at the university in Lawrence pertaining to Stoll, and that the article was simply a description of the current legend. It is also possible that the article was written with the intention of starting a legend. Regardless, the legend took hold and is still the subject of a lot of speculation today, nearly 50 years later. Some aspects of the story seem like standard ghost story elements retrofitted onto a legend of a cemetery with a doorway to the underworld. The stories of cults and witches seem like they would be natural fits for a story about Satan visiting the cemetery on a predictable schedule. Others, such as the devil, child, and werewolf elements, seem so over the top that I have to think that they were added on by later storytellers with more ambition than the sense of what makes for a good ghost story. The injection of the satanic cults into the story makes sense, as the story first appeared, or at least was popularized, in the 1970s, it corresponded with an increased worry over cults and Satanism among the general public. The satanic panic reached its fever pitch in the 1980s, but rumors of satanic cults at the cemetery could have easily sprang up in the 70s and been given extra credo in the ensuing decade, as happened in other places throughout the U.S., the local antipathy towards tourists creates a weird sort of dynamic. People who have visited and been chased away have described that they feel as if the locals have something to hide. The locals, on the other hand, have nothing to hide, but are simply tired of outsiders coming in and vandalizing the place. As a result, the story has probably gotten more inadvertent false confirmation than it should, and the locals have had to deal with idiots and vandals. This is remarkably similar to Dudley Town, discussed in episode 49, where access to land is revoked because of bad behavior on the part of visitors and is then worked into a larger conspiracy theory type belief about why the land is no longer accessible. If you visit today, in addition to contending with irate locals, you will also not see the old stone church. It had been largely turned to rubble by the 1990s, and based on what I could see on Google Earth, not even the foundations remain today. One source I found states that it was bulldozed in 2002 to discourage legend trippers, but I cannot confirm that. The question I would like to have answered is, what is the deal with this being one of the seven gateways to hell? This weird detail is an ever-present part of the cemetery's story, but where does it come from? Despite a good deal of searching on the internet and in libraries, I've never been able to figure out where the other six gateways are. According to this urban legend, one is in some isolated location in India, but never specifically named by anyone who mentions it. 
There are no answers as to where the other ones are. I wonder if the seven gateways was attached to this story so that it seemed somehow more ominous. We do seem to have a bit of a cultural fixation on the number seven. It is not clear that the other gateways described in this episode, one of which is even called the seven gates, are counted among these seven by those who share this bit of Stoll Cemetery urban legend. Incidentally, the current church in Stoll suffered a fire in its bell tower in July of 2022. The news reports I found indicated that the fire may have been caused by a lightning strike and was under investigation. While I would expect that the investigation was concluded by now, I could find nothing pertaining to it, so I'm going to assume that the lightning explanation turned out to be correct. But if you are in Stoll and know the outcome of the investigation, please feel free to let me know. Oh, and the story about the Pope avoiding flying over Stoll? As far as I can tell, it's nonsense. Just a bit of extra lore added on to the story. But it is still associated with the legend, and even places that tend to be a bit less sensationalistic include it, so clearly it has staying power. Location 2. Seven Gates to Hell in Hellam Township. This one is also on private property. If you happen to be in York County, Pennsylvania, don't go looking for it. Okay, on with the story. If you take Trout Run Road out to the trail known as Toad Road near Hellam Township in Pennsylvania, you can hike down to the location of seven gates. The first, a metal gate, isn't far off the road, and it is the only one visible during the day. In the dark of night, you will have to search for the others, though the exact description of them is often missing from tellings of the story, and when it is present, it is inconsistent. If you find them, you must walk through them in the correct sequence, and by the time you reach gate number five, you must be certain that you wish to go through with this, as once you pass through this fifth gate, there is no turning back. Nobody has ever gotten that far and been seen again. If you make it all the way to gate 7, you will find that you have reached the gate to hell itself. Why you would wish to open the gate to hell is beyond me. But, if you desire to see, and likely experience, fire and damnation, just step through the seventh gate. If you make it past gate 5 and don't proceed all the way to gate 7, it is unclear what happens, but some say that, Rather than being transported to hell, you will be forever stuck in a more earthly torment. Indeed, some say that the souls of those who passed Gate 5 but never entered Gate 7 are trapped in the area and will rain torment down on those unfortunate enough to encounter them. How did these gates come to be? Well, there are two stories in circulation. The first story holds that the gates were built to keep patients within an asylum that had been built at this location. A fire began and the gates prevented the patients from escaping. Most burned to death, but a few somehow survived, but lived in the woods, badly scarred, and would attack anyone who walked through the forest, acting with violence out of a sense of anger at what had been done to them. One variation on this is that the asylum burned down and the patients escaped, but that they were tracked down and beaten by the townspeople. A fence with seven gates was built to corral the escaped patients together and trap them near the burnt-out remains of the asylum. How the gates gained their ability to open a portal to hell is open to question. Another story holds that the gates were built by an eccentric doctor who owned the property through which Toad Road runs. 
he built the series of seven gates, each one leading deeper into the forest than the last. His reasons for building the gates and why they lead to hell is left unreported in this version, but one can presume that the doctor had some sort of occult interests. One final version of the story that I found holds that a man lived with his wife and children in a small house near the gates. One day, for reasons unknown, he murdered them with a shotgun and impaled their bodies on the spikes of one of the gates. The house in which he lived was eventually demolished or burned down or was otherwise removed. But while it was still standing, shotgun holes could be seen in the garage door and the side of the house. Perhaps his crime was so vile that it caused the gate to hell to open. Or perhaps demons whispering to him drove him to madness so that he would commit the crime. Commentary In an interview with Jim McClure of the York Daily Record, journalist Gary Dudery, who grew up in the Hellam area in the 1960s, recalls that the path known as Toad Road, which appeared to at some point have been a driveway or a small road, got its name from two statues that stood at its entrance. They are often referred to as gargoyles, but technically categorized as grotesques, since they didn't serve as roof water spouts. That's right, folks. A gargoyle technically exists to help drain water off of a building's roof, and all other similar statues are not technically gargoyles. In fact, the terms gargoyle, gurgle, and gargle are all cognates. Regardless, these statues depicted some sort of weird creature, likely not toads, but as they were somewhat toad-like, and toad rhymes with road, well, you can see how the trail got its name. Dudery further explained that the location was considered sinister, the sort of place that kids would dare each other to visit. He never heard of the gates to hell growing up there, and he didn't recall stories about an asylum having been burned down. However, I can tell you from my experience collecting ghost stories that stories about abandoned or destroyed asylums are common enough elements of urban legend that it is possible such a story was present. That the trail known as Toad Road appears to have once allowed vehicles access would imply a destination, and an asylum is a good destination for childhood horror stories. In truth, there is one gate, built for the same purpose that most gates are built to allow access by the landowner to their property and to keep others out. The other six gates appear to be pure myth, but one has to wonder how the story developed. There was never an asylum at this location. County records would have mentioned it, so it's easily shown to not have existed. The Hellam Township website has a page attempting to dismiss the legend, and it does mention that the doctor who owned the property was real, so there is that. Again, though, he only built the one gate. I only found the mention of the man murdering his family in one source, the website Road Trippers, and it is only briefly sketched there, so make of that what you will. If I had to make a guess, and this is just a guess, the story evolved something like this. As Gary Dudery explains, this place was known as Sinister, and a place where one would dare others to go or otherwise engage in legend tripping. Now, that's all well and good. But to make it really worth the dare, it requires a legend or something spooky. Searching for a non-existent asylum is a good option, and it having burned down is a good reason to not find it, unless you are familiar with how fires tend to leave building foundations behind, which is a detail unlikely to bother thrill-seeking kids. From there, 
Patients being prevented from leaving during a fire becomes a solid element for children's horror folklore, and that implies gates. And so you get gates. From there, there is enough folklore about entrances to hell that these gates allowing access isn't too much of a jump. As for the number seven, well, our culture seems to like the number seven. The seven wonders of the world, God rested on the seventh day in Genesis, there are seven heavens mentioned in the Quran, the list goes on and on, including even the fact that in our first story, Stoll was said to contain one of the seven gateways to hell. So having a sequence of seven gateways seems to make some sense as well. What's more, this can become a snipe hunt prank, another common adolescent pastime, as there is only one gateway you could easily make your gullible friends search for quite some time before they realized what you had done. The notion that this story developed in local folklore and not catalyzed by some real event is further supported by the multiple choice origins of the gate. The impression I am left with is that the place was a good spot for spooky stories and legend tripping by the 1960s, that the tale of the seven gates later developed, and then that the three different origins of the gates emerged. And I would be surprised if locals don't mix and match the origins so that the doctor was the man who killed his family or the doctor was a psychiatrist who ran the asylum, etc. So my guess is that this story began as a combination of legend tripping location and prank, and then it was added to over time. But that is just speculation. I have been unable to find anything to confirm or prove this idea false. So take it with a grain of salt. One thing to consider, though, is that like the creepypasta regarding Slenderman discussed in episode 42, the information provided by Gary Dudery regarding Toad Road shows us that kids can and do engage with their own scary folklore in a way that sits somewhere between belief and non-belief. And this trait often seems to carry over into adulthood. This is good to keep in mind, as many people insist that one must be either a believer or a skeptic and not a sort of believer, which many of us actually are. Incidentally, for those interested, this legend inspired the film Toad Road, and while I have not seen it, it is well-reviewed and maybe worth checking out. Location 3, Gate to Hell in Clifton, New Jersey. Okay, so the previous ones were on private property, so you shouldn't visit them out of respect for the owners and because they might call the police. This one is, based on what I have been able to find, actually actively patrolled by the police, and they are out to arrest people entering the location. What's more, many of those arrested, per notices provided by the Clifton Police Department, have been carrying weapons and appear to have been involved in gang violence. So seriously, stay away. According to the good residents of the Garden State, a storm drainage tunnel in Clifton, New Jersey is also a portal to hell. As described by the good folks at Weird New Jersey, quote, it is a very old tunnel with an arched stone ceiling about eight feet high. The light quickly evaporates behind you as you enter and you are soon enveloped in total darkness. Inside can be an extremely dangerous place even without the presence of Satan. The tunnel system was built as a drainage runoff for a stream called Weasel Brook, and in times of heavy rain, the usual trickle of water through the tunnel can become a raging torrent almost instantly. End quote. In addition to the danger of drowning due to storm waters, 
There is a very real danger of encountering people who are not in their right minds due to substance abuse, as well as those who are sober but have more serious mischief on their minds, including harm to others. If someone has gone to the trouble of hiding themselves in a tunnel, there is a fair chance that they will not be pleased with some tourists stumbling across them. And in a dark tunnel, there will be nobody to help you if you end up in any sort of trouble, either accidental or intentional. But according to the tales one hears, the greatest danger of the tunnels is not natural. The tunnels were originally built to divert water from the delightfully named Weasel Brook during heavy storms, but the stories hold that they no longer serve this purpose due to being shut down because of the supernatural activity in the tunnels. But please note, the tunnels do, apparently, still actually serve as storm drains and people can drown in them, so yeah, stay out. The sources I have found report that common playground talk among older children and young teenagers is focused on the occult and demonic nature of what happens in the tunnels. The tunnels are guarded by a strange, shrouded humanoid that can move at tremendous speeds, known as Red-Eyed Mike. You may not encounter Red-Eyed Mike, but odds are that he will see you. Interestingly, he's there to protect you, at least at first, but will play pranks on you, imitating your voice or that of those you are traveling with, making strange and unnerving noises, and throwing rocks. He's not likely to harm you and may even keep you from harm, but he can be unnerving. Once you enter, there are seven levels of the tunnel, again with the number seven, and you will have to do some climbing to reach all of the locations. I will note that some stories say that there are nine levels of tunnels, like the nine levels of Dante's Hell, but seven is also quite commonly cited. Those who have entered the tunnels report finding dead animals, satanic graffiti, materials left behind from black magic rituals, and the occasional decaying human body, no doubt a victim of human sacrifice. While wandering through the tunnels, expect to hear whispering voices, the sound of a distant horn, and clanging noises. Clearly, Satan worshippers have been using this place for their dark rituals. Within the tunnels, somewhere, is a hidden room. To find this hidden room, one must complete seven challenges, the nature of which I could not find. The room is a dungeon that houses a glowing human skull. But this dungeon is hidden behind doors that cannot be opened unless you can move two axes that block the way, and these axes weigh several thousand pounds apiece. If you do enter the dungeon of the Glowing Skull, there is a very good chance that you will encounter the devil himself as he likes to frequent this room. But if you descend further still, to the bottom, you may find the tunnels leading you directly to Satan's actual abode. At the end of the tunnels is a groove cut into the rock, and within that is a granite manhole. Climbing into the manhole will allow you entry into hell. <laughs> commentary. Again, I cannot stress this enough, there are genuine physical life and limb dangers to entering this location. Do not go exploring the tunnels of Clifton. If you manage to get to them, there is a fair chance you will be arrested, and if you manage to avoid arrest, there are very real non-supernatural dangers. Avoid, avoid, avoid. The sources that I found for this one stress the kid folklore nature of it. Really, the room that contains a human skull is locked by axes weighing several tons. 
That is some prime time kid notions of what makes for a scary story. And the location does appear to be a draw for teenagers. The author of the Weird New Jersey page on the location notes that he and a friend visited it when they were teens. And an article in NorthJersey.com cites a police captain who informed the article's author that the police typically find teenagers in the area searching for the gates to hell. Like much juvenile folklore, the stories of the location are summed up well by a writer at Patch.com. Quote, As far as the urban legend behind the gates of hell, they range from extreme to rather tame, with no middle ground. Unquote. I go with the more extreme versions in the story in this episode, but there are plenty that simply report that there are tunnels with unnerving graffiti that we all know oh so certainly is painted by Satan worshippers, and gee golly, there must be some kind of gate to Satan's home around these parts, don't you know? Location 4 Gate to Hell in High Street, Columbus, Ohio. Before I start discussing this one, I should note that my good lady wife slash producer informed me that, as every Buffy the Vampire Slayer fan knows, the Ohio Gate to Hell is in Cleveland, not Columbus, and I must have misunderstood what the sources I was reading were saying. When I informed her that I was fairly certain that they all said it was in Columbus, she asked me how it felt to be so wrong. So, while I hang my head in shame over my obvious ignorance of such matters, I will proceed with the story. But, in truth, I am cheating a bit on this one. While the drainage tunnel, which drains runoff from the Olentangy River during rainstorms, is often referred to as the gate to hell in local folklore, it is not generally reputed to contain an actual portal to the netherworld. This appears to be a name given to it because this tunnel, which is located behind a Tim Hortons of all places, simply looks ominous with several metal posts outside and a dark tunnel within. While the metal posts are there to catch large debris and keep them out of the tunnel, they do result in something that appears to be a cross between a gothic church and an industrial site. Of course, local graffiti artists have painted it to add to the flavor. Go online and look up the photos. It is something to see. This location has another name, the Blood Bowl. The second name comes from an urban legend that a skateboarder, or in some versions a bicyclist, was attempting to do a trick and hit their head against the concrete, resulting in a bloody death. The identity of the skateboarder, or bicyclist, varies from telling to telling, sometimes leaving them anonymous, and sometimes saying that it is a well-known athlete. Another version of the story holds that the location is called the Blood Bowl because a large number of dead bodies wash up there after storms move significant amounts of water through the drainage system. No commentary on this one. The story isn't supernatural, but this location kept coming up when I researched Gateways to Hell, so I thought I would mention it. Oh, and this one is also supposed to be closed off to the public and could be quite dangerous during high water episodes, so of course, as always, you should stay away. Summing it all up, one of the things that has become very clear to me in researching these stories of the gateways to hell is the importance of imagined peril in certain types of play. Whether it be college students traveling to Stoll to wait for Satan to appear, or adolescents in Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and Ohio telling lurid tales and daring each other to go to the site of the same tales, 
It is remarkably unlikely that those engaged in the visits to these spots genuinely think that they will encounter demons or find themselves burning for eternity in torment. First off, if they thought this was true, why would they go there? Second, the notion of hell used in these stories pretty clearly comes from Christianity, and in the United States, most of the population is familiar enough with Christianity to know that one does not end up damned in hell for simply going to a particular geographic location. So it is remarkably unlikely that the adolescents and young adults visiting these places actually think they are in danger of being cast into the fiery netherworld. But, by buying into the notion just enough to get an adrenaline rush, you can enjoy a visit without actually putting your soul in danger. Though, as discussed previously in this episode, you may be putting your physical health and legal standing into jeopardy. Also, the telling of these stories themselves can be a form of play. I know from my own childhood that none of us ever actually tried to enter our local haunted house, which was a church in disrepair that I discussed in episode 5, it was enough to tell the creepy stories while walking past it, and the stories that I found for the locations discussed in this episode, as well as the internet chatter that I have observed about them over the years, suggest that a very similar process is at work. For all that people who discuss haunted locations talk about the importance of legend tripping and other forms of ostention, the simple sharing of stories is far more common and, therefore, arguably more important to the folklore than actually going to the location. It is worth noting that the stories about Stoll were popularized by students at the University of Kansas, and the others were popularized by young people, largely children and adolescents. What all of these groups have in common is a need to form and maintain social bonds. A shared, thrilling experience, whether it involves telling creepy stories or visiting creepy places, is a sure way to do just that. In the end, these stories represent the ghost story as a sort of play, a way to have fun and socialize. One can, and perhaps should, consider the potential troubling implications of some of these stories. For example, the troubling implications of blaming the Gates and Hellum Township on the mentally ill, but most people telling these stories aren't thinking about that when they tell them, nor usually is their audience. While I spend a lot of time on the show discussing the social implications of various tales, it is always good to take a step back and remember that we tell and listen to these stories because, for whatever other aspects there may be, the stories are fun. And something as dumb as a story about a gate to literal hell can provide a good time. Even the story about the Blood Bowl, while it doesn't actually feature anything supernatural, fits this bill. The stories of the death of the skateboarder or bicyclist, as well as the story of multiple bodies washing up here, are likely nonsense, though an occasional body ending up there or a daredevil athlete harming themselves are not outside the realms of possibility. But the structure of the tale, the obvious exaggeration, especially in the claim of a huge number of bodies washing up, and the glee that was apparent in the write-ups I found, well, that's all pure adolescent storytelling. This is the way that kids talked to each other when I was young, and it appears that it is the way they still talk to each other. I take some joy in knowing that some things remain. But again, don't go anywhere dangerous, whether the danger is natural or supernatural, and never mess with private property or go where the police are likely keeping an eye open for you to trespass. Share stories, but don't put yourself at risk.
If you have a weird tale, have had a strange experience of your own, or know of a bit of local lore that should get a wider audience, please feel free to contact me at ghostthropology at gmail.com. That's G-H-O-S-T-H-R-O-P-O-L-O-G-Y at gmail. You can find more at kmmamedia.com. Click on the Ghostthropology link and you can find episodes, transcripts, sources, and a link to support us through Patreon. Spooky!